everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Hampton Little Sweets. Oh, it's been so long since last time, baby. I'm going to move the show to once every two weeks because uh, there is such thing as uh, too much of a good thing. If you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> A lot going on in the news. A lot going on in the world, as always. It is a constantly moving, constantly shifting, always evolving thing. Thank you for spending another day at the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. You know, Go ahead and uh, get you some warm towels. Get you some vibes and embrace the revolution that is to come. So I thought today we would talk about uh, what revolution may have came before. Had not a lot of revolutionaries on their way been... Uh, well, murdered, dissuaded, uh, disabused, uh, as many dis words as you can come up with, straight up dissed. Uh, we could see where we're, maybe we would be at, to, where we, we could be at today uh, had that not happened, or where we could be if we actually listened to the lessons that uh, people like George Jackson could have taught us. But before we get into that, talk a little bit about what's going on in the news just to uh you know just to uh, put a few words out there now came out today that uh hunter biden is going to be prosecuted or has agreed to a pre a plea deal actually with uh the fbi for lying about his taxes which you know every rich person does uh not that it makes it okay but uh, and no surprises there. And then for lying about uh, possessing a weapon, uh, apparently he had, during one of his benders, got a gun, God knows for what reason, and uh, on the form where he purchased the gun, there you have to fill out some kind of form with it, said that he was not a drug user, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I get lying on a form like that. Like, if you want your gun, why would you tell the truth about your drug use, but turns out that's a crime too. Uh, he's come to some kind of deal. Why am I even mentioning this? Well, I think it may have, I, I maybe I'm becoming a conspiracy theorist here. Maybe, I don't know, but I think there's, I think, I think it's a strategic move. I honestly think it's a strategic move by Maybe it's the Department of Justice, but it is 
it's one of these things to where if you if you look at what's been happening with the prosecution of Donald Trump uh, being brought up on these charges, if you look at how Trump has been, uh, you know, he's he's indicted, he's going to have to fight this documents case. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest defenses that Trump has to this whole documents case is this is a political prosecution. Now, did he actually commit the crime he's being uh, accused of? Uh, Yes. I mean, it's pretty clear from the indictment that he did commit the crime of unlawfully retaining documents. I mean, he apparently admits to it in a tape, but that's not important. What's important is his main defense here is, oh, this is a political prosecution. They're only coming after me because, A, I'm a Republican, and B, I'm Donald Trump. So that's kind of Donald Trump's argument there. And again, did he actually commit the crime? Well, yeah, right? But, and did he kind of bring it on himself? I got to be honest, from the indictment, it's really wild. Like, yes, <laughs> like he could have just given the documents back and they probably wanted to prosecute him. I honestly believe that. Um, they just, he just retained them for some reason and it's not clear why. But the point is this, it, it is a procedural crime, Right. So I understand when people look at it and they, it looks it looks like political prosecution. It's kind of sort of a selective, oh, well, why did you have to bring these charges against him? Uh, and his main argument has been they're out to get me. Uh, by prosecuting Hunter Biden <laughs> and by him coming to a deal, you're almost kind of... Uh, you're precluding that political argument. You're making it harder for Trump to actually make a political argument here. Because when he says they're only coming after me, they're only indicting me. Well, Hunter Biden's being, he's been charged and he's come to a deal. What does that mean? Well, it makes your political argument a little bit worse. And I wonder now why, why would Hunter Biden be charged now? It's been pretty clear that throughout you know, he's been he's been kind of shady for a little bit. And maybe it's because the additional sort of, uh, you know, politi- uh, politicians and, and, and uh, McCarthy has been investigating Hunter Biden more and his connections and this alleged corruption between Hunter Biden, foreign officials, and potentially Joe Biden. So maybe they're just been looking into this stuff. Maybe the FBI opened up this investigation and they just now found it. But the timing seems awfully convenient to charge Hunter Biden with something right after uh, this indictment comes down for Trump. To me, it looks like to the extent that that political argument has any sway that Trump would make in court, you know, to the extent that he's arguing, hey, they're just out to get me. They don't ever they don't ever prosecute people who are Democrats. Well, now we have a Democrat and the son of the current Democratic president. So in a way, um, you know, what do I think of it? I don't fucking know, man. Prosecute everybody. Fuck these guys. That's what I really mean. Uh, That's what I really believe. But uh, I, I don't think anyone should be exempt from prosecution for doing a, a crime, but we have over-weaponized our prosecutorial system and we prosecute too many people for too much bullshit. Um, if you're going to prosecute Trump, I guess, you know, prosecute Hunter Biden as well. And it seems like they have, but it's going to be interesting. 
I think, I mean, politically speaking, I, I wouldn't touch prosecuting Trump with like a 10 foot pole. Honestly, I think it's, if anything, it's going to bolster his numbers, probably bolster his support. People will probably uh, rally behind him more. Um, and it looks like political prosecution because let's be, let's be frank here. It is, it's not incorrect, but it is a political prosecution. Um, so I, I, I probably wouldn't bring it just because, you know, you're to the extent you're almost giving fuel to his fire here, right? To the extent that anyone feels like they want an outsider to come back into the political realm, to the extent that people feel like they want someone to, uh, who is, who the establishment doesn't like, to the extent that you believe all politicians are corrupt, but you don't either have the knowledge of why that is yet, which is, you know, spoiler alert, a lot of capital. It's the influence of capital is probably the biggest factor here. Um, but, but to the extent that you believe in these things, and you see Trump being prosecuted, you may be, uh, you know, people may think that he's an attractive candidate uh, just because of how the political establishment treats him, but not because of his actual policies or what he does, because he's proven that the first time he was in office, he didn't do shit. He didn't do any of the shit he said about controlling the swamp. He didn't do any of the shit he said about building the wall uh, and making whatever pay for it. He didn't do any, he, he didn't do what he promised to do. And, uh, I think that's important to keep in mind. But that being said, uh, liberals are going to fuck this up. It's they're already fucking it up. They're, they're just going to do the same shit they did last time. And all that's going to do is make Trump look like the anti-establishment outsider candidate and like voting for him is the biggest fuck you to the establishment. And when you have an establishment that capitalism is creating these conditions to where people can have no real sense of, 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 of uh, growth or autonomy in their lives. And they want to lash out at this establishment that's constantly oppressing them. Well, Trump offers almost like a quick release valve, but it's not going to change the structural problems. Trump is part of the problems. I mean, it's, it's, it, as long as unfettered, unregulated capitalism continues to grind everyone out and it will continue to do that because that's where their incentives are. There's no incentive to not do that. Then we're not going to get any actual change, but people who want change and want something different, uh, every time that you attack this guy and try to put him in jail or put him in prison, you're just feeding and fueling that fire, which brings us to George Jackson, because one of the things that George Jackson, uh, was really good at talking about, I think, was fascism. And fascism in a way that's not like how people use it today, you know, like an, like an insult against people, like, you're a fucking fascist. You fucking fascist. Come over here, fascist. I'm going to fucking smack the shit out of you. Not like that, right? It's, it's it, George Jackson, former or a Black Panther during his life and a prisoner for half of it, uh, George Jackson, uh, had a pretty good view of, I think, what fascism actually is, what, how it comes to be, and he learned all of this in prison. If you don't know who George Jackson was, uh, 
He's the author of this book, Blood in My Eye. One of the Soledad brothers as well. Um, he is, I'll give you some of his background. Um, so George Jackson, at the age of 19, um, also the seventh Jackson, that's correct, uh, Re. Uh, for those of you who think he was the the coolest uh, member of the Jackson family, <laughs> that's not not that Jackson family, but he is pretty cool. Um, George Jackson was a uh, a man who, at the age of nineteen, uh, robbed a I believe it was like a gas station or a convenience store for seventy dollars, and in California. He received a prison sentence for stealing $70. This was in the 70s, I believe. The 70s or the, God, was it the 60s? I think it was the the, the 70s. Um, maybe 71. No, 71 is when he was murdered. So it had to be the 60s. Um, in the 60s, robbed a uh, convenience store for $70 and received a prison sentence of one year to life in prison. Now, what does that mean? It meant that he could be jailed and imprisoned from any amount of time between one year and the rest of his natural life. That was his sentence, again, for $70. Uh, as if that wasn't enough, he spent 10 years in prison. He would die in prison. Uh, he would be killed in prison after what was supposedly an escape attempt. Uh, the details are hard to nail down. Could have just been a political assassination. But again, he goes in at the age of 19. And for the 10 years that he was incarcerated, he spent seven of those years in solitary confinement. And solitary confinement... For those of you who don't already have some familiarity with the the barbaric prison system in the United States, uh, solitary confinement is where you put someone in a room by themselves, in a prison cell by themselves. He was there for seven years. Uh, anyone who has any kind of background, background in psychology or psychiatry will tell you that solitary is... is it's not, there's nothing humane about it. Uh, for many people, it's a form of torture. Um, but while George Jackson was in prison, he began reading. And he read Marx, Lenin, Mao, and became one of the smartest, most, one of my favorite political thinkers. And I'm, I'm still new to George Jackson myself. Uh, he formed a relationship with Angela Davis. Uh, he was a huge supporter of, of the Black Panther Party and their form of communism, uh, their community programs. And he wrote some of the best works, I think, on the intersection between uh, Marxist ideologies, uh, political action, and capitalism and power. You know, you find these people sometimes like, uh, like Malcolm X, who are products of the system that they're brought into. 
our products of a racist country, our products of a capitalist country where uh, the haves control everything and take as much as they can and exploit the have-nots, um, where prisons are used as a form of slave labor uh, to force people to work and to disrupt any legitimate political movements that would actually challenge power. But you see these people who go through these systems and they start reading. And when they get out, if they get out, or even if they never get out, they have this remarkable ability to contextualize America's particular form of oppression better than anybody. Because not only do they have the, the book learning, the book smarts, and the knowledge, the theory to actually understand their circumstances, they have the lived experience. And they're able to weave those two things together in such a way that uh, their, their thought processes are so clear and they are best able to sort of articulate uh, or to call out the system for the injustices in a way that is uh, direct and, and point, uh, potent. So uh, George Jackson, um, there's a lot more we can say about his life and his works. Um, we could talk about how his, his brother was killed while trying to hold up a judge to release George Jackson from jail. We could talk about how, you know, towards the end of his life, he, for, for all intents and, uh, from all accounts, seemed to become more and more depressed and more like a, a, a I don't want to say suicidal, but ready to die. Um, we could talk about the escape attempt and everything, but right now I want to talk about his actual works. Uh, now, now, we've already mentioned he was a Black revolutionary and a Marxist thinker who advocated for the liberation of all people and the overthrow of a capitalist system. And he criticized the existing political structures and believed in the necessity for radical change. Uh, one of the key aspects of his writing was his critique of existing power structures. And he argued that the political establishment, irrespective of party affiliations, <coughs> excuse me, of party affiliations, serves the interest of the ruling classes, perpetuating social and economic inequalities. I think that's something most people who listen to this would agree with. But this analysis was crucial to his understanding of present day, of, we can use this understanding uh, his analysis to really understand present day political dynamics. Uh, and one thing I want to mention in particular, the thing I want to focus the most on about George Jackson today is his writing on fascism in particular. Um, so let's, let's do some of that. There's a chapter in, George Jackson's book, Blood in My Eye, here, which basically argues that the ideology of fascism and what constitutes fascist ideology at all is irrelevant. 
In fact, you don't understand fascism by understanding the ideology. The nature of fascist ideology is to constantly change. It has no real consistency to it. It's kind of a fool's errand. What's of note or what, what needs to be, what's interesting about fascism or what needs to be studied about fascism is how it comes to be. Why does it arise in the first place? Now, George Jackson goes over the history of the first fascismo, I believe is how it's, I've only read it, so I can't, I can't exactly, I'm not going to learn how to pronounce this shit, <laughs> but I read it, uh, but goes over the first fascismo established by Benito Mussolini and goes into the backstory and the history of it. The main things, or I guess why George Jackson says that the ideology is not important for fascism is that most of the fat is, is, or I'll just read the passage. This is what George Jackson says. My insistence upon the non-importance of ideology indeed rests squarely upon the point, uh, upon this point that most of the fascist intellectuals were reacting to the uprootedness and social disintegration of the particular moment and with each change in the face of this state of affairs, they were in large part forced to repudiate most of their former ideology. So as a Marxist now, I, I, I don't know how deep, uh, how, you know, I don't know. I don't have like the statistics of who listens to this shit or whatever, right? But uh, I'm assuming if you're listening, you, you've heard of Karl Marx, you've heard of at least in passing of something called uh, historical materialism. But this is basically saying that what George Jackson is doing here is using what is basically historical materialism, which is analyzing the circumstances which generate events and the relations of people between their uh who owns the means of production and who is actually uh, exploited by those means of production and trying to see it, trying to use basically that historical analysis to describe why things are happening. Right. Uh, this matters because most of the time when we think of why do fascists believe what they believe, or when we think of why do people develop their politics, we tend to think of it uh, from inward to outward action, inward feeling, inward morality, to outward action. Uh, why does a fascist believe that, you know, this race is inferior because they believe that, I don't know, something inside of them, white people are great, yada, yada, yada. And then it, it translates into their actual politics. That's not exactly what, what Marxists do a lot of the time. They look at What's happening in the world and why is that generating, how are those power dynamics generating a certain response? Now, George Jackson is arguing that fascism is, is a reactionary ideology. It's a reaction to the current conditions, which really the only role of fascism is to in summary, say or do anything 
in order to maintain the current capitalist power structure. Uh, if that makes sense. I mean, usually, right, when he's talking about Mussolini, he talks about how the whole theme of early fascism for Mussolini, who used to be a socialist, right? He was a socialist. He eventually became an ultranationalist, uh, repudiated all of socialism and took over with fascism. Uh, but it's, it's fascism really starts or fascism, Mussolini's fascism starts. And this is what Jackson writes with a, not just like an anti-communist sentiment, but a sentiment that is fundamentally a general indictment of decadence and bourgeois decadence. So fascism starts really with a condemnation of, or a, basically a call out of the inequality, a call out of the rich and powerful, which you know, if you're a socialist, that might worry you a little bit. <laughs> because what he's saying at first, or what, he, what, what, what George Jackson is saying first is that, look, the circumstances which create a socialist and a fascist are generally the same circumstances. And initially, a lot of what both of those groups are saying sound like they could be interchangeable. A, a calling out of the inequality a calling out of the bourgeois decadence, calling rich people out, you know? And Jackson talks about how this is actually a powerful strategy for someone who's a fascist, because again, you can attract a lot of people by first calling out the bullshit in your society, by calling out how the rich and powerful are controlling people. And that's how it starts, right? So he talks about several people who initially supported Benito Mussolini when he rose to power because uh, they all sort of read into Mussolini what they thought was in uh, more of a socialist take, which is he's calling out the rich and powerful. But the main thing here, which is important from Jackson, is that This initial anti, even if you call it a, an, an anti-rich ideology, is not an anti-capitalist one, because that's not the point of fascism. Really, the ideology of fascism, why it must be denied, is the fact that it exists in more than one form. So maybe I can make this make a little more sense. If you remember, George Jackson when he starts writing from prison and he's writing about classes being at war and uh, just the power structures, he writes about how fascism, you don't understand fascism by understanding the, the ideology of a fascist. That's not the point of fascism. How you understand fascism is understanding that it's reactionary, number one, and meant to maintain the power structure. It's not meant to solve anything. It's meant to maintain a capitalist power structure. Uh, and he says, we can look at this by looking at fascism because it takes more than one form. First, there's one form that's out of power. And 
this form of fascism tends to be almost revolutionary and subversive. So this is the anti-capitalist form of fascism that we initially see where the this sensational initial aspect of fascism is one that uh you know it 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 almost sounds like um Jackson says it almost sounds socialist at times when you talk about something like rapacious capital uh it's the initial breeding ground for how these things work right but then the second form of, of fascism is the, the the thing that most of us are used to seeing in Hollywood movies and shit, you know, uh, funny outfits, but mean people beating the shit out of people on the street, uh, uh, you know, that kind of violent pulp novel, novel version of fascism. Uh, but the third face of fascism, the third form of it is when it exists, when it is... Uh, in power and securely so. So just to go over the forms of fascism, first one is one that's in power but not secure. The second one is that is uh, in power. I'm, I'm sorry. The first form of capital of, of uh, fascism is one that's out of power. The second form is one that's in power but not secure. And the third form is one that's in power and securely so. And this third form of, of, of fascism is really what's, what's really the most useful for our purposes. I'll go a bit over the history that Jackson puts out here because I, well, first I highly suggest everyone read this book, Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. Uh, because what, what you realize immediately is uh, how brilliant he really is. Uh, again, this is someone who's self-educated while in prison uh, from the age of 19 until his death at 29, I believe. Um, but for someone to have this good of a grasp on, you know, political theory, all self-taught, uh, if you weren't an advocate for prison reform before, uh, you will be after this book. Because why are we wasting, why why are we wasting some of the most talented human beings by, like, why are we letting them waste away in prisons when they could be actually contributing? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but a, a part of his, you know, part of his argument for why, or part of why I wanted to talk to him today is, is to kind of go over these forms of fascism and and really kind of show how they can still have a lot of why it's important to kind of, I guess, understand them in the current era because, because I think if you do, you start to understand that, um, Oh, do I just give a, do I give away the ending? Okay. The ending here's, here's the spoiler alert. Uh, for those of you who didn't know, you probably know where this is going, but uh, America currently fits all the criteria for Form 3 fascism, a, a, a fascist government that's in power and securely so. Uh, Jackson talks about how in this form of fascism, 
dissent is allowed. You're allowed to disagree because what is the, you're actually so disempowered that your disagreement poses no actual threat to the system as it currently is. Uh, the, the, I guess, I guess the, the, the tell here though is the tell here is, is that you are, we are living in a reactionary system where most of the reactions that are offered as, uh, I guess, true anti-elite solutions uh, are just, you know, fascism that are, that's going to continue to protect capital and capitalism because that's what it does, right? It's power for its own sake. There's no, uh, there's no consistency to the ideology. Does that make sense? I hope people are following because I'm kind of, let me just get back to my presentation <laughs> and then we can, you know, if anyone has questions, we can go over that. But, uh, you know, when we talk about the incoherence of fascist ideology, George Jackson actually writes that the the finished product of a of truly fascist regime is of an actual fascist arrangement is diametrically opposed to its original ideology, right? The regime turns openly traditionalist and idiots like Mussolini, he writes, receive the favor and compliments of other idiots like President Roosevelt, Bernard Shaw, DuPont, Kennedy, and H.G. Wells. And this stems from an inevitable conflict between the notion of a new spiritualistic man and the theory of the ethical state, the ideals of obedience and creativity, authority and freedom, are so contradictory of each other, so mutually exclusive, that the ideology of fascism could never be taken seriously. Again, the, the unimportance of the ideology. Um, so, I have a whole bunch of notes here on the history for fascism itself. I don't know if we need to do all that. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why you're listening. But I think the, the, the thing I want to focus on the most here is how Mussolini seized power. Look, if you've studied any history, or even if you just went through school at all, you know that... Uh, Mussolini and a lot of fascists, you know, Hitler, they only came to power because the economic precarity of a post-World War I world. A lot of economies uh, collapsed in on themselves and created conditions where people were desperate for solutions. Now, in those situations of desperation, of economic precarity, you really got two routes. You can go socialist or you can go fascist. Well, what happened was, in Italy in particular, socialists were gaining power. They held a lot of the seats in the Senate. Um, 
or in the parliament, they had won a bunch of local elections, but they were very ineffectual. They actually succeeded in taking over a steel mill and taking steel mill away from private ownership and giving it to the steel workers, but then ended up giving it back to the private capitalists because they couldn't figure out how to run the steel steel mill. Uh, so this is important because in circumstances where there's that kind of economic uh, inequality and things are bad, if you are a socialist, you better be an effective one. <laughs> you better figure out actually how to make changes within that society, how to give deliverables. Because if you don't, the reactionary nature of fascism and its ability to morph its ideology around whatever suits the moment will be more attractive. And when Mussolini seized power, he did so with the, in, in, in 1922, he did so with the, in, the support of industrialists and the middle class and traditional uh, agrarian interests. And what's interesting about Mussolini is he used strategic targeted violence to make changes come quickly. And this is something that he learned from scientific socialism, from Lenin. And it was through this use of violence and suppression that he was able to force or, or establish a new political regime that favored capitalism over socialism. Uh, the fascist government implemented a closed economy. They directed investments and promoted state protected industries. And it also revived uh, religion, expanded power and engaged in wars. Now, if you know anything about post-World War I uh, Italy, it's, it's insane to think that the populist would let you engage in another war. But because they had just gotten out of a war, and that, that's part of what led to such a huge economic crash. But when a fascist actually retakes power, uh, they're able to do things that would otherwise be inconsistent with what the voting populace would want. Uh, because the fascism becomes dis disguised as a class struggle. Well, uh, more, 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 I guess, more accurately to what Jackson writes is that fascism disgu disguised the class struggle as a solution to national problems and served the interests of the ruling class because fascism and fascist regimes always respond to threats to the establishment and work hand in hand with private ownership to maintain the current power structures. That's why it succeeds. Um, so why do I, there's, there's it's a little more I want to go over in there. I'd like to, I guess, open it up. But why did I specifically want to talk about George Jackson today? Um, well, I think there's a lot that he can teach us about what we can do politically in the present day to create a more fair and equitable, uh, equitable world. 
And, you know, first, one of the things he stresses, of course, is the significance for what he calls a vanguard party. Uh, but really, it's not, don't think too much about what the vanguard party is. I know a lot of people are always arguing about, oh, who's going to be the vanguard party? Do we need a vanguard party? It's supposed to be this thing. Like, a, a, Just think of it as groups of people who have already who who are already socialists and kind of believe in believe in a better world who are already politically engaged don't think too much about it right but he talks about jackson talks about the significance of education and conscious raising consciousness raising right individuals must understand the structural forces that shape their lives to effectively challenge them and this translates into a need for ongoing learning, engaging with, uh, uh, I guess, Marxist or or, or uh, dialectical perspectives, and critically examining the systems of power and privilege at play. So, I've noticed a lot of people are doing that here on Colin, even though uh, you know we our numbers are fading. This is a I don't know what's going on with this app, but mm, some some shit, something's going on because like we're we're just not um you know it's not we're small but mighty let's say that. Uh, but on top of just consciousness raising, uh, in order to offer people the actual alternative to uh, an alternative that actually attacks the the structure of capitalism, which is already creating the conditions which. Is harm which are harming them. Uh, there needs to be an emphasis on the power of unity and solidarity. Uh, Jackson was a big supporter in what the Black Panther Party was doing. Uh, at that time, they were doing a lot of community organizing. They were doing a ton of uh, uh, breakfast programs, direct action. I mean, one of the things that Jackson says that I, I 100% agree with is he was speaking about how uh, for these people who were turning to fascism, uh, how they're being misled, the way to really get people back on board is to organize movements that directly meet their needs, their immediate needs now. If it's breakfast that they need, give them the free breakfast program, you know, feed their kids, uh, help them uh, rebuild their fences, you know, that kind of shit. Uh, that is, that will have more of a radicalizing force than, direct action has more of a radicalizing force or, or, or a converting force than your words. these kinds of things when you're, when you are engaging directly, um, I guess the transformational power of that is greater. Right. Uh, and that's what Jackson writes about as well. Uh, and then the other aspect is that the effectiveness of relying solely on electoral politics is a little silly, um, if that makes sense. I mean, I, most of you know that already. Uh, but 
the even if we have the electoral victories, that's not enough. Uh, socialists had electoral victories in parliament in Italy, much greater than what the fascists initially had in 1921. I mean, there were something like double-digit fascists were elected in the 1920s compared to, I think, thousands of socialists who were elected, and the fascists won because they were more effective at what they were doing. Um, and because sometimes, you know, if you can give someone a really easy answer to a problem, even if it makes no sense, they'll take it when they're desperate. Um, and that's just sometimes how it goes. Uh, but really, they're, they're, the last real point, I guess I wanted to bring up by Jackson, is that like, um, he really talks about how, especially in America, the, the use of culture wars for fascists is always in kind of in their favor, right? The, the idea, the idea is we have to build class solidarity. We have to build solidarity of people's interests, which requires education and it requires constant engagement and community building. The goal of the fascist is to disrupt all of that community building. Uh, how do they do this? Well, in the U.S., racism has been a, a huge part of that, right? The racism, he writes that racism has always served, has served always in the U.S. as a pressure release for the psychopathic destructiveness evinced by a people made fearful and insecure by a way of life they never understood and resented from the day of their birth. Uh Jackson also talks about how some of the people who feel the most pressure in these situations uh, where the economy is going to shit, where uh, it seems like elites are taking control of everything because they are. I mean, there's a lot of pressure that people feel from below. Let me find the, the exact passage here because I think it's really important um but the basic effect is this that you i know i have it in here somewhere yeah so the the some of the early adopters of fascism right jackson has this to say uh the shock troops of fascism on the mass political level are drawn from members of the lower middle class who feel the upward thrust of the lower class more lower classes more acutely. These classes feel that any dislocation of the present economy resulting from the upward thrust of the masses would affect their status first. They are joined by that sector of the working class which is backward enough to be affected by nationalistic trappings and the loyalty syndrome that sociologists have termed the authoritarian personality. One primary aim of the fascist arrangement is to extend and develop this new pig class to, to denigrate and diffuse working class consciousness with a psychosocial appeal to man's herd instincts. Development and exploitation of the authoritarian syndrome is at the center of totalitarian capitalism, AKA fascism. It feeds on a small but still false sense of class consciousness and the need for community. 
The collective, the collective spirit in fascism is a morbid phenomenon that grows out of the psychopathology, the psychopathology of mob behavior. So I think the thing that, that, that makes the most, I mean, all of that is, is straight fire, right? But the, this idea that what you hear a lot and what, what you will encounter a lot when you're talking to people about the need for these kinds of systemic changes is number one, anxiety. People are used to things working the way that they are and they think things are just going badly for them. But what they really fear here is that if there's a class sort of revolution, their position, which is slightly above lower class, you know, maybe you're not homeless, but you have a, you, you, you're making your rent, but you're one paycheck away from it. But if the, what, there's an anxiety there that if, if the lower classes start fighting for more, whose shit are they going to grab first? Who's going to be the first people to have to have their stuff seized? Whose position is going to shake first? Well, these people who are right above that lower, the lowest of the low class are feeling that upward pressure first, right? Does that make sense? Because people who are trying to fight for what they believe they're entitled to are trying to fight for a, a more fair and equi equitable world oftentimes are people who ain't got shit. And if you have a little bit of shit, then you worry that they're coming to take your shit. We're not. We're not coming to take your shit. But it's one of the things that when you're engaging with people about socialism, and when we think about a lot of these Trump voters who are in economically precarious positions, many of them, uh, that's something we have to contend with. We have to have an answer to how do you address that concern of theirs? The way you address that concern, frankly, is by revealing who the real robber is. Who are the people who are actually doing the majority of the stealing here? Who are the people who are actually organizing or whose policies and money organizes society in such a way that makes your position economically precarious because it's not the lowest of the lower classes. It's not the black people who don't have power. It's not the transgender athlete who swims or any of that shit. It's been the, the capitalists the whole time. And this understanding of, I think there's a lot of political potency in trying to get people to understand and us understanding that someone like Trump becomes popular, someone like, you know, Biden is already, let, let's, I, I've come to the position that I think, I think most American politics are based in fascism. That's really going to hurt me. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I, I hate to say, part of me doesn't want to say that because I'm, you know, I'm scared about like, what happens? Does that mean I can't get a job anymore if I think that if I'm just trying to call it like I see it, you know? Um, but I mean, look, how, how is it that hard? How is it so goddamn hard to make sure that people have somewhere to live 
in the richest country in the world. You know, how is it so goddamn hard to forgive student debt? How is it so easy to supply weapons to Ukraine? How is it so easy to increase the military budget even when no one asks for it, when no voter asks for it? How is it so easy for uh, us to continually deny people health care and have a system where if you don't have money, you will you can literally you'll literally just die from not having any access to health care? How is that so easy? But anything that has to do with, um, you know. Doing what people want or need is difficult. Well, because the government, maybe it's fascist and securely so. Maybe it's it, what it does, and it's not just the government. Like, I don't want to put it on the government because you have to understand who the government serves. The government's job, even with someone like Trump, is to maintain the current power structure. That's what they're doing, you know? And when I say the government, don't go, like, there's a lot of good, you know, stuff like the Department of Labor and, uh, you know, other, uh, the SEC, they're, 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 they, like, try to do stuff, right? I'm not talking about the individuals who are working there. I'm not talking about some of those laws that have been passed and that did good things. I'm just talking about the structure of power is is one that has been funded by and for for the benefit of a uh, capitalist class of people who want to maintain power just the way that it is. So when you're talking to these Trump voters and other people, you have to contend with the fact that a lot of the pressure that they're feeling is coming from what they perceive to be as a loss that is coming from you. Keep the focus where George Jackson says it should be. You got to show people how they're being robbed. You got to show them that, no, the, 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 it's, it's not us. Us, by fighting for more for you or a fair shake for you, you're actually fighting for all of them. Um, and the question has to be, to the fascist who is coming off like he's fighting for them, the question has to be, uh, what are you actually doing? What are you actually going to do? Uh, <laughs> because they actually don't have an answer. I mean, the, 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 they'll say, do anything to maintain the power. Uh, they'll take on completely inconsistent positions. I mean, I just love that that insight that, you know, that so many fascist regimes believe in this idea of traditional values and the new spiritual man. You know, this these values of like creativity and order, like which are diametrically opposed to each other. It's wild. It's wild when you think about it, but it's just, you know, it, it doesn't make any fucking sense. But it, it's not it doesn't need to make sense. It's purely reactionary. Right. That's that's the entire purpose of it. And Jackson writes that fascism is always a threat to the establishment. Oh, I'm sorry. Fascism is always a response to a threat to the establishment. Any anti-establishment actions taken by the strictly political arm 
of a forming fascist arrangement are simply attempts to centralize or upstage the capitalist industrial sector, either to establish it, as in Spain at this time, or modernize it, as in those cases where marginal productive interests are absorbed or destroyed by the arrangement. It is significant to note that no fascist regime in power has advocated for the has advocated the, the abolition of any form of private ownership. The fascist regime and private ownership work hand in hand. No modern political regime can exist for long without the cooperation of those who control the means of production. So what, what is Jackson saying there? What, what can we learn from that? Well, when, when we are going against someone who is a fascist, who, again, is claiming that they're also for the working class, who is also trying to appeal to the anti-capitalist sentiments that are building up in a populace, but who also has no intention of actually attacking those anti-capitalist sentiments or those act to attacking capitalism or capital. Well, then the solution is one thing that fascism can never really truly call out is private ownership. And I don't mean private ownership, just, just so we're clear here, private ownership when it comes to like socialism is a very particular term, Right. People get freaked out when you say this. They're like, oh, shit, private ownership. You mean I can't have a fucking house? You fucking commie bitch. I can't have a house? I can't have a house? Give me my fuck. They, they say shit like that, right? But that's not what it is. Private ownership is not personal property. They're not coming to take your guitar or your guitar hero away. Private ownership is ownership of the means of production. Ownership of the machines that make shit. Ownership of the steel that's being made in the steel factory. Uh, so the, the, the rent-seeking type behavior, right? That, that is what we're talking about here. Uh, and fascism will never actually call out for the abolition of private ownership. They won't do it because they can't. Because the, the point is power for its own sake. Say, do, believe anything appeal to nationalist intent, make a, a scapegoat real quick, and then just rise to power off of vibes. Because people are mad at the system as it is, as they should be. But let's talk, you know, like, based on what, you know, Jackson's written about fascism, is there any question that Ron DeSantis is just a fucking, like, died in the wool, kind of fascist, you know? He does not he's following the playbook. I don't know truly what that guy actually believes like in his heart. It doesn't matter what he believes is gaining power. What he believes is, is using whatever means to gain that power, appealing to ultra nationalism, trying to make sure there's no solidarity within the working class, uh, uh, making whatever he can make a scapegoat for uh, why, Apparently, America is failing, but we know why America is failing. We understand why America is failing. The incentives of capital in America are always to profit no matter what. Profit no matter what you're doing to the planet. Who cares? Who cares about the oceans? Fuck dolphins. Dolphins are gay. 
Fuck them. We got to make money. Not fucking fucking play with dolphins. But that's that's the whole idea of it, right? Like the 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 it is not. I guess if I'm Jackson is basically telling us that at least in this in this chapter that when we're fighting these political battles, uh, when we're fighting against the DeSantis's and the and the you know the Bidens and everything else, like it's 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 the fight is in delivering material change to people, give them meet their needs that will also help you build the solidarity but it also gives you instructions on how to call this shit out and how you call it out is now you can engage in the merits of what they're saying sure but their ideology doesn't matter remember that DeSantis I don't know it doesn't matter what he believes in his heart about trans people the goal is to use trans people as a lever to create a uh you know a form of red meat to deliver to a voter base and leverage it to get power so that he could do what capitalism that's the thing trump did the same shit i mean trump did the same shit and i know you know i know sometimes trump voters will occasionally uh i know that there are some trump voters on Colin and everything too but it's important to know that you know the 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 guy just did more capitalism while he was in office with more authoritarianism. Same thing's happening now. Don't get me wrong. You know, the expansion of things like Cop City in Atlanta, the uh, continued use of sort of prosecutorial powers to go o- over not only activists, but now it's becoming more and more explicit that they're going to start going after their political opponents or who they perceive to be their political opponents, right? Uh, I think we're going to see more of that happening. I mean, you can argue to some extent that some of the uh, prosecution of, 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 of uh, politicians happening right now is an extension of that. But, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden as far as them getting into office this time around. Both of them are going to serve the interests of capital. So what do we do? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the current political landscape, okay? We have some people who are more progressive who are running for presidency. Uh, I'm supporting, as of right now at least, I'm I'm, I'm going for Cornell West. Um, But there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, now electoralism, elections are not going to solve these problems. These problems are deeper. They are more complicated and they require more direct action from us. Uh, you know, to the extent that there is a vanguard party as Jackson advocates for and, and speaks about, uh, I think we have to start understanding ourselves to be that vanguard party, not because we are worthy or not because we want to self like uh we think we're the best or something like that because no one else is doing it right now i mean the the it, 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 the goal here 
we, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as just individuals who are living in a terrible um, sort of system that is pressing every one of us. The pressure is happening to, to all of us. Even those of us, you know, I'm doing better than the vast majority of people on this call, I'm sure, right? Um, but that pressure is coming for everybody. It's not an, it's the pressure is not coming from downward up. It's coming from upward down. So to the extent that we are here on a, an app or listening to an episode and constantly thinking, what do we do? Well, the first part of that is understand that we have to be the ones doing it. It's us. There are people who uh, tend to think it's just raising awareness. It's not. It can't be. Nope. That doesn't matter. For us, the awareness has been raised. So the next steps have to be more active. Next things we have to do are, um, look, in our locales, we actually have to start, I mean, doing shit like free breakfast programs within our own communities. It's going to have to be a multifaceted sort of situation here. But it doesn't always have to be people dedicating time. If you can dedicate time, great. But I think, I really think there should be some kind of, we need to figure out how to start funding each other to do this work in the communities so we can actually give them food, give them shelter, give them, give them a sense of solidarity and then to politically activate them. That needs to be the goal. Um, basically rebuilding a black Panther party, I think is, is, is a, kind of needed. Uh, when it comes to elections and why I mention elections, uh, I think that, again, a lot of the talks that we have about Marianne Williamson, do you support her, do you not? Uh, Cornell West, to a, large, to a large extent, understanding these elections in terms of they're actually going to deliver material change is the wrong way to understand them, in my opinion. That's not the point, exactly. The, the system is not broken by someone just getting on a debate stage and expanding the parameters of the conversation. That's useful, but that's not how you break this system. Um, you break it by delivering where it isn't. You break the system by beating it where it, it will not go. Capitalism will not help the poor. We can. Capitalism will not help the homeless. We can fucking figure some shit out. Now it takes capital. It takes other things. But we can. The sentiment of actually doing something for those communities is showing that what we actually have to offer is legitimately different. It is a differently structured system. That's power. Capitalism can't attack there. It would have to attack us directly to stop us from doing it. Um, but on the election point, um, I say I'm supporting, at least right now, mostly Cornell West or the Green Party candidate. Uh, we need to open up the, we need to bust open that system. I, I think, look, in an ideal world, when it came to an election this time around, I would have two candidates, both running on one single party ticket, but one 
in the Democratic primary, the other as a third party, and they would have the exact same platform, basically, or as close to a platform as they could. There would be a pact between to support one or the other. Why do I do that? Why does that sound? It sounds a little convoluted, but the idea is to the extent that you can exploit the democratic process and get into a democratic debate just to spread the awareness, I would do that. Um, but only to say, hey, by the way, these are this is this is what these two politicians believe. You know, these are what these democratic politicians believe. This is what we believe. And by the way, we're running third party. But you as a candidate are running as a Democrat, right? With the idea being that uh, the break is already done. Like whatever dirty break would happen eventually uh, will happen. And it goes to the other candidate who's already running third party, if that makes sense. Um, the idea is you need to, you need to break the, there, the, there's power in showing that there is one popular support for something that is outside of the bounds of what already exists in a du, uh, duopoly political system. Um, but there has to be some true sense that you are not, you're not a Democrat or Republican because you're not a fascist. I mean, straight up. I, I, I don't mean to call like people who are Democrats and Republicans, like the individuals fascists, but the parties and the politicians that they put in for the most part at this point are people who protect capital at all costs. And I, I mean, all costs, when you think about it, you know, when you are protecting a political system that, is fine with letting its citizens die, is fine with letting its citizens become completely uneducated, despite the fact that it knows that in the long run, they need an educated populace. When you are okay, or when you when you are part of a system that uh, thinks it's okay to literally, you know, destroy the planet for short-term profits and no one's doing anything, like, that system needs to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely unsustainable. So... I guess on that point, you know, like Jackson, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the emphasis on the elections themselves any more than how we can exploit the electoral process to uh, weaken the system. Uh, one reason why I do think the third party run is a good idea is it actually does have a threat to the system. I mean, if you can look, I, I, Greens have ballot access right now, practically speaking, so they can actually get a guy in the ballot. Um, you, when we talk about the how practical is it to actually win, I think that's kind of looking at it wrong, too. We should want to make things as difficult for both of those other parties as possible, right? Like, the idea here is to be the constant gnat in their soup is to, and to show people that to the extent that there are only two parties and there's a filtering of ideas that are allowed on a stage or uh, there are other possibilities. We win no matter what with the third party aspect, right? If, if the goal is to 
expand the bounds of what is potentially possible, to expand the wider political consciousness to be outside of just these two fucks, then that's good. Uh, and if you can get someone on the debate stage through, I mean, shit, we should run fucking three candidates probably, right? Like Republican, Democrat, third party, but the third party is the one that actually, the only reason one's a Republican and the Democrat while they're running at all is to filter into that third party. And honestly, one strategy we might want to consider when it comes to the electoralism part of it is uh, get as many different disparate third parties as possible to support this candidate, to sell them. You know, if you could sell to a libertarian or someone else that like, look, the idea here, it doesn't matter what you think about Cornell West's policies. The idea here is we want to build a coalition that's big enough to actually make a third party a threat, a third party candidate a threat. Uh, we're doing it to break open the duopoly. Once we get past that, if we can do that, potentially, get things like ranked choice voting, get things like open primaries or whatever, like we can open up, the, the goal here is to open up the can for any third party, for all other parties to run. That should be the real goal. It's weakening the structures of the two-party system. Um, so it shouldn't matter exactly what the candidate believes. It should be, well, uh, how, how many people can we get together and how many people can we coalesce to make someone more of a spoiler? Does that make sense? I hope that's making sense to people. Um, but that's the kind of solidarity and community building that we need, right? There needs to be a uh, more of a plan. Like a lot of the times, when we, I guess what, what, what I would be saying here is that uh, what I'm trying to say is that Jackson, when he talks a lot of the times in this book and when he talks about the fascist system and when he talks about politics, he's talking about power. He's talking about a Marxist sort of analysis of, of why are people susceptible to fascism? Why do fascists gain power? How can socialists gain power? Well, in the circumstances that we're in, where more explicit fascism is taking power, in a way, the conditions are good for us. The conditions are good for us because the same conditions that breed fascism breed uh are, 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 that are ripe for fascism are ripe for socialist reform. Uh, we need to have more solidarity around how we exploit that rather than the, the little infights when it has to do with like this candidate or that candidate, if that makes sense. In fact, we waste a lot of energy by, by doing that to be, to be frank. Um, we also waste a lot of energy by, uh, I guess calling out individuals who are not, I don't know, uh, calling out individuals who we think, I, I guess I'm thinking of like the Jimmy door and all this other shit. Whenever, whenever there's drama between all those individuals, um, not that I'm saying he created, I'm just using it as an example. Cause I'm, you know, you know, when all those guys are fighting, like you got like the Anna Kasparians and like Ben Burgess and, something something's going on and then people are just like fucking fighting each other who gives a shit fuck them that's not the point 
Like the point is, like if anything else, if if you're serious about actually challenging power, then um then we go with everybody who actually wants to challenge power. It doesn't matter. Like we once we come to a strategy and we push someone forward, we have to understand that the point of pushing them forward is not to fully endorse the person. It's not to endorse their whole life or to do anything. It's really to challenge the structures that don't want that person to succeed, that don't want that plan to succeed. Does that make sense? Um, I hope that make that's making sense to people, right? Like, um, uh, I, don't, I don't. I hope that makes sense. It makes sense to me, but I'm like fucking cool. But you guys are fucking cool too, so you should. I'm sure you you get what I'm putting down. And if you don't, don't worry, you'll be cool. Stay here, you'll be cool. Eventually, it happens to all of us. I mean, George Jackson was cool as fuck. So, um. And here's what I, I'll read one more part from Jackson and then maybe we can get into some other stuff. Um, and then I'll summarize the rest of it. But, but, you know, again, well, that's, that's a whole other thing too. I mean, we could talk about how we should probably be more active in prisons. It's harder nowadays to actually get to them because a lot of this sort of radical shit that they were reading, uh, they don't have access to anymore. So they are, they're cut off, they've been cut off from. So that, that's unfortunate. Um, but the fact that this 19 year old got into prison and became, in my opinion, one of the best political theorists of, of the last several decades, uh, we should understand how potent prisons, prisons are for how we should understand how the greatest victims of capitalism, the biggest victims of our form of capitalism in particular, have the most to gain by changing the system and sometimes a better understanding of the ins and outs of how it actually works. That's an important, potent power, right? It is when you're 19 years old and your life is ruined because you stole $70 and now you have a sentence of one year to life, and you needed to steal that $70 in the first place, you know, because like you don't have money. Um, that's someone who can be a real potent ally. That's someone who really understands the system that they live in or could be if they have access to the right education. And George Jackson, you know, he, in this chapter, he says, look, the point here is that in the years following the war, and during the early depression of 1920 to 1925, Italy could have gone either socialist or fascist. There were partisans enough in both parties to lead the uprooted, disintegrating society in a new direction. The difference was in the nature of the leadership along with the question of who would be willing to commit their whole fortunes and futures to the battle. Fascism really arose by, by pulling a bait and switch. That's how it always arises. It acts like it's for the classes. It acts like it's for the, the downtrodden. And then it switches and, and says, just kidding, we're for the capitalists, but the real enemy are 
insert X group here, which is always funny because if, if, if you're a fascist capitalist regime, you can be as nationalist as you want. You can say you're nationalist. You're going to rely on international capital, you stupid fuck. It's a global international economy, you cunt. That's why Japan and Germany, when both of them were fascist and saying we're the master race, have a good old time exchanging goods and think it's fine. You know, suddenly the inferiority of a different race and all this other shit doesn't matter when it comes to global trade. That is the point of fascism. That's why understanding the ideology of it doesn't matter. The the, the, the result is we, we want to keep capitalists in power. That's it. And the point here is that fascism emerged out of weakness. This is George Jackson again. The point here is that fascism emerged out of weakness in the pre-existing economic arrangement and in the old left. And the weakness must be assigned to the vanguard party, not the people. The People's Party failed to direct the masses properly with positive suppression of their class enemies and their goons. Mussolini was able to proclaim that fascism held the only solution to the people's problem. By default. Fascism, the new arrangement, the rearrangement, the strengthening and reforming of laissez-faire competitive capitalism, was anti-socialist from its inception. It attempted to conceal the reality of class struggle by disguising itself as a new solution to national problems. By, def by deifying the interests of the whole state, which turned out to be the interests only of the state's ruling classes. Um, again, this is someone who's self-educated from prison, who somehow knows about the whole history of World War I, World War II, of the guys talking about economics in here, like, like you wouldn't believe. Look, um, but I think he makes a really good point, which is, uh, really, uh, you know, when he talks about this Vanguard party, uh, you are the Vanguard party. It doesn't like you are. You're just it. You, you may not want to accept that yet. You may not want to be it, but that's that's the thing. Remember, the difference was in the nature of the leadership, along with the question of who would be willing to commit their whole fortunes and futures to the battle. Um, now, we, as we continue with this, I mean, we're going to encounter situations where the idea of committing your whole fortune and future to the battle is scary. I mean, I don't want to lose what I have. I don't want to, I, I don't want to like make problems for my family, for my friends. I don't want to, I don't want things to be like that. Um, but also fuck this shit. Fuck these guys, man. This is bullshit. It's bullshit. And the idea that change is just going to come from us not being activated and active is uh, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. I think we have to get over that fear. We have to get over that fear because the alternative is actually scarier. It's, it's, it's terrifying. The alternative is that 
we continue on the road that we're on and we basically walk ourselves into oblivion by, you know, drinking out of plastic bottles. How fucking dumb is that? How fucking stupid would that be if that was the end of human history is, uh, you know, fucking they flooded their oceans and then they ran out of water and then they they put a bunch of chemicals in Lake Michigan which were forever chemicals and uh, they went into the ground in East Palestine and they all just kind of died. Fucking loot because someone wanted to make more money and didn't want to, you know, didn't think it was a good idea to make sure that the earth was still around long-term for them to make more money kind of like took that part as, as a given. Uh, It's like, that's, that's the direction that we're going in. Uh, Look, the only alternative is is to be is for us to become more engaged. And I think that one of the things that uh you know, I've been hearing a critique on here a couple of times of people who you know, they'll say that like, I don't know, like people who are doing politics online or 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 people like it's almost like a there's like a political grift to be had, you know, one where the point of politics or the point of like a political show is just to keep people informed. And then that's that. Uh, I do think there has to be more there. there, The goal here is not for all of us to be cozy with one another about how we feel politically. The goal here is for us to be standing side by side, fighting these motherfuckers, to be honest. The goal here is to be feeding people. The goal here is to actually change the power structure as it is. And that doesn't mean, you know, people think that um, that doesn't mean armed revolution or anything like that. But one thing I will say is that even the parameters of our political discussions, you, I would highly suggest people read this book, Blood in My Eye, because what you realize is that even the parameters of what is acceptable political discussions today have become so watered down. This guy was calling for open revolution, straight up. How often do you hear people say that shit nowadays? It's wild. Like, this guy was calling for some shit, like real shit. He's like, no, the only way to get rid of fascists is to kill them. Fuck them. They don't, they they can't be reasoned with, but like the idea of even, you know, I'm not saying that I agree with that. I do like, to be honest, I do tend to be more of a reformist. And sometimes I need my more radical people who have a better history of this stuff to, to really educate me on why I'm wrong with that. You know, I'm like a, everyone let's get along. Let's have, let's take some shrooms and dance. Let's take some shrooms and dance. That's like more of what I'm at. What, my affect is right. But um, I mentioned that only to say, I mentioned this and his, his calls for radical revolution only to say that uh, sometimes it's hard to even see the filters or the, the way that you self-regulate in, in society. And the fact that even our political discussions are tepid, in large part, I, I just found that fascinating. I think they need to be less tepid. 
I think we need to be more frank about the fact that this is not working. And uh, we are actually going to do something about it. And then we just do the damn thing. Ooh, it's about eight. Ooh, I know that Lysol had a... uh, Lysol was going to do like a COVID debate that I'm sure people wanted to go over and perhaps listen to. But let me let me wrap. I'll take some callers and then um, talk. But like, look, the, the, the point here is this. Like, one, actually, there's if there's three big takeaways, I can say uh, the first one is uh, I'm going to start reading more. I think there's been a de-emphasis on reading. And honestly, I got to be real honest, like. I would like to just play video games and fuck around. But every time I read some shit like this, like there we are we are doing a disservice to ourselves as activists by not educating ourselves about what some of the smartest motherfuckers that we've ever put out there have done. They've laid so much groundwork for us. It they 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 are able to kind of expand the parameters of what we can believe and what we think possible. And we can learn from their mistakes and learn from their triumphs. I, 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 I think I've, every time I'm, I'm finding the more that we're reading, the more I'm actually able to kind of uh, articulate the system that I'm actually in. To, I, I find myself better equipped to deal with uh, the politics of today because it's a continuation of the politics that we've, we've had for a long time in this country, probably forever, but in different amounts of forever, you know, or in different amounts during that forever. Um, so the one, you know, takeaway number one is uh, we, y'all should be reading. I'm going to be reading more. Uh, doesn't always need to be hard theory, but we, you got to read some of these guys. George Jackson is someone who his life meant something and he's he's kind of spot on about a lot. Why would we why wouldn't we use that? If the goal here is not just, you know, maintain but feel like you're smarter than everyone else in the room because you understand the actual politics of today, if the goal is to actually change some shit, let's listen to the people who came before us about how they were trying to change things. We can learn a lot from them. I mean, I've, uh, to be frank, I've learned a lot from him, from rereading the Beyond Vietnam speech, from going back into Lenin, from uh, Malcolm X about in the bullet, you know, there's a lot to be learned from them. So number one is read, you fucking filthy animal. Read, fucking use your brain. Okay, I'm just, you guys are fine. Um, you better fucking read, you better fucking read right now. If you don't fucking read, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking find you. Okay. Um, the, the the second lesson. Uh, the real second lesson here is that uh, there's not really any room for inactivity. What do I mean by that? Uh, if you're here listening. Congratulations, you you are now by force just kind of like actively involved. Like you, when it comes to politics, when it comes to, you actually got to be out there. You got to, we have to, We maybe we could form support groups to help 
to help you work through it. If you have anxiety or something, you don't want to go out and talk to people. You don't want to do this. I get it. But like, you kind of have to, there's no, there's no room for just, uh, educating yourself alone. It, it, it's just not enough because the conditions which create the fascists and which create the socialists are the same. The difference is us. The difference is us educating people. That's it. The difference is us mobilizing people and giving them the tools that they need to better understand their experience. There has to be a concentrated, active effort to fight. That I, I don't see an alternative. I don't see a passive alternative. Maybe the, the passive alternative is you actively giving money to some causes, to groups, so that they can actually fund some of this active work. Uh, to be frank, that might be a lot of what I have to do. But it is like that that aspect of not having a an active role at all is not an option. It's not an option. Because people who don't believe in anything, who don't believe in a goddamn motherfucking thing in their goddamn heads, are going to come in and come up with bullshit. And that will be fascism. And they'll gain power because they'll say and do whatever it takes to gain power. And then because all they wanted to do was gain power and keep it, they'll keep the capitalist system running as it is because the capitalists will keep funding them. So it's either that or us doing shit. So I choose doing shit. So that's the second one. Uh, there's not really room for passivity. And then I guess for th lesson three, um, uh, I could say the need for solidarity, but I think it's, I mean, obviously that's, that's part of it. Right. But uh, I guess lesson three, the best way to, to put it is um, fascism will never attack private property. Fascists will never abdicate or never, uh, advocate for the abolition of private property. Fascists will never advocate that capitalists shouldn't have access to their means of production. So if you need a tell, if you need a real tell, now maybe they'll say they will, but they'll never actually do it, right? If you need a tell as to who's really uh, on your side when shit gets confusing and when they, they you know, they tend to be against the, the power structure, uh, you know, when they're saying, oh, rapacious capital is killing us all, uh, but they're a fascist, uh, just ask them or keep that in mind. Will they actually abolish the goddamn shit when it comes to it? Will they actually get rid of the private property? Will they give the means of production back to the people or at least the very least give them the say, the the democratic say in how those means of production are used or what they're paid or what leverage they're, they're able to get as a worker. Um, if they're not willing to do that, then be careful. Be careful because they're just saying shit. They're just saying shit to get power from you. And also, you know, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, Vote third party. <laughs> no, I don't know. Vote vote for whoever you want to. But all right. Um, I'm going to do some quick things. I don't want to 
bleed into Lysol's thing because he uh, messaged, messaged me to uh, uh, want to have this debate. And uh, I'm sure all of you want to debate COVID. So, uh, Brady, go ahead. Proxy Party, what's going on? What's up? Feeling vindicated after so long being called crazy. When the proxy party is winning the long game as one dude and being vindicated through the actions of Cornell West. And I'm wondering if this means you're finally ready to help with the work of building third parties and a network of mutual aid. Well, I'm always willing to do that. Well, I'm always yeah. willing to do that, yeah. But I don't know but if I it's through the proxy party. Well, what's it going to be? The Green Party? Making the Green Party better? Well, how about we both do whatever's on? Uh, yeah, maybe for the for the Greens right now. Maybe for for West, I think he probably has the best shot right now of disrupting that. Um, so I would support that probably. Right. Would, you, would the proxy party to, be down to to do that as well? Yeah, I fully endorse Doctor West. I mean, he's an obviously better candidate than me for president. Finally. He's the first one I'll admit that's true about. You know, I didn't like RFK or Marion Williamson. But yeah, um, Dr. West, um, and so I, I really hope that he does win. And I think he can. And But he's not going to win on his own as is going right now. He's going to need the help of the community behind him, backing him up to make him anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the questions that I want to see him answer are what he thinks about Whitney Webb's material and Pizzagate and the COVID-19 mandates, the COVID-19 debate. These are two of the, two of the big areas and questions I haven't heard him questioned on. And yeah. two topics that aren't being, obviously aren't being brought up enough because we're having a proxy COVID debate tonight. Uh, in lieu yeah, of, is, is that happening like right now almost? Or yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening. So I would... Um, I keep wondering. Yeah, um, that's happening right now, I think. So... Oh, and Katie Halper's having her uh, shows as well. But, uh, yeah, it's all going down right now. So I'm about to hop in there and check it all out. But, uh, yeah, if I can get any help, uh, what I'm trying to do is make the Green Party better. And I'm trying to do that by building a platform that anyone can use. Like, honestly, if Dr. West, Dr. West could be assassinated, mm-hmm. I think he's a major assassination target. If not for the CIA, then alone crazy. You know what I mean? And so right. what we need to do is we need to get Dr. West's help in generating a platform that anyone can run on in lieu of anything happening to him. And, you know, that way uh, we have a solid platform that everyone can agree on. This is what we're what we're doing. This is the, the mission plan. And then also <clears throat> make sure we have a framework, uh, a protocol for um exercising illegitimate leadership like Nick Brana, making sure we don't have another Nick Brana situation, making sure that sociopaths don't enable themselves to take over a situation and control the narrative and start kicking people out of the decision-making process, which is something that happens a lot in, all over, whether it's the workplace, your friends, your family happens a lot. So this is a problem that we need to solve as humanity, as humans, but I'll pass the joint to Andrew. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. Glad you're coming around. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad we're both uh, supporting West. So uh, at least at, at this point. So thank you for that. Uh, cool. Andrew, welcome back, baby. How you doing? Oh, I can't hear you yet, Andrew. Uh, I see that you're unmuted, but I don't see uh, any changes. I don't see your voice coming in. 
Can anyone can anyone hear him? Oh, he's calling back. Okay. All right. All right. How's that? Yeah, that's good. Perfect. Hey, I wanted to indulge me during Black Shirts and Reds by Michael Parenti about Mussolini's rise to power. <clears throat> so. Yes, um, please. Yeah, there, there, I, there's. It's really like the one of the very first parts of the book. Um, besides the um, the introduction, <clears throat> instead of um, reading the whole passage here, I'll just read a little bit about this because I think like George's point is really important because every time that the like you said the, the conditions for um, you know major change are there, there's there's the possibility of a shift in a super violent reactionary swing to the right or to the left for, right. you know, kind of abolishing major parts of the capitalist order and having a, you know, egalitarian system of worker ownership and full employment, housing, et cetera. So right. I wanted to read this part because it talks a little bit in detail about how, um, about how Mussolini and there's, there's plenty of other writings and, stuff about this before or, um, on the Nazis too. They never really actually won over the hearts and minds of people. Um, and so I'll read a little bit about yeah. this real quick. Um, by the end of world war one, Mussolini, the socialist who had organized strikes for workers and peasants had become Mussolini, the fascist who broke strikes on behalf of financiers and landowners using the huge sums he received from wealthy interests he projected himself onto the national scene as the acknowledged leader of I Fasci di Combattimento, a movement composed of black-shirted ex-army officers and sundry toughs who were guided by no clear political doctrine other than a militaristic patriotism and conservative dislike for anything associated with socialism and organized labor. The fascist black shirts spent their time attacking right. trade unionists, socialists, communists, and farm cooperatives. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here and go to uh, the March on Rome. In 1922, the Federazione Industriale, composed of the leaders of industry, along with representatives from the banking and agribusiness associations, met with Mussolini to plan the quote-unquote March on Rome, contributing 20 million lira into the undertaking. With the additional backing of, Il of Italy's top military officers and police chiefs, the fascist, quote, revolution, unquote, really a coup d'etat, took place. Within two years after seizing state power, Mussolini had shut down all opposition newspapers and crushed the socialist, liberal, Catholic, Democratic, and Republican parties, which together had commanded some 80% of the vote. Labor leaders, peasant leaders, parliamentary delegates, and others critical of the new regime were beaten, exiled, or murdered by fascist terror squadristi. The Italian Communist Party endured the severest repression of all, yet it managed to maintain a courageous underground resistance that eventually evolved into armed struggle against the black shirts and the German occupation force. So I'll end the, um, the reading of the passage there, because I know most of us are probably going to head over to that debate in a minute, but I highly recommend uh, George yeah. Jackson. I also highly recommend reading Parenti's books. Um, I agree with you. We should read more. Go ahead. Yeah. And and what book was That's that from Parenti to, just so people know? Um, let me read the full title. Um, Black Shirts and Reds, Rational Fascism and the Overthrow of Communism. 
there's really um, important info in that book about how both in Germany and in Italy, the fascists were essentially implanted into power without any type of democratic process by the foremost capitalists and in in Germany's case, members of the old Kaiser's military staff, in Italy's case, you know, the current top military brass. Um, and they, they the, the fascism was was never really popular. But what is important about what George Jackson is saying is there were enough people at the time who weren't, you know, didn't have the luxury or means or proximity to people to pay attention to what's really going on. And they really bought into the the scare about socialism or communism or anything organized labor being a threat to their already really precarious position. And if, and if there is a, if there is a, a push for socialist governance in, in an era of economic instability, it may be very popular, but it is important, even if it's like a small um, minority, like if it's a two to one majority against or more or more against people who are really supportive of something like fascism, you might still need to actually reach out to those people because it doesn't take a whole majority of, of like consent to govern a nation. You just need enough that it, that it kind of feels like it's, it's solid. It feels like there's a lot of people. Um, so right. Anyway, right, right, I just exactly. thought, yeah, Black exactly. Shirts and Reds, very yeah. good read. If you're going to be reading some George Jackson, maybe give Parenti a, a, a gander as well while you're passing through the bookstore. Yeah, he, I mean, he's great. He's got yeah. he's got a lot of great stuff. Um, and I, I actually haven't read any of his stuff, uh, surprisingly. Just, I, I mean, I was introduced to him yeah. on here. So. He's got a lot of great um, books. Definitely uh, I would say Black Shirts and Reds is a great yeah. one to start with. Um but really pick yeah. what it, whichever one, if whichever one interests you, he writes on different topics. And I'd also say I put a link in the chat earlier to a free PDF download of blood in my eye, uh, by George Jackson. So if people want to perfect, go back and look at that yeah. after the show, uh, you can get that for free. Yeah, I'd highly suggest it. And if anyone's looking for a reading group or something like that, I mean, I'm, I'm on involved in one, uh, on Thursdays. Um, that is, hosted by the, what is their name? There's some kind of socialist something party, I think. What are they called? Let me see. I don't even know the name of them. I just found them randomly on Reddit and I've been going ever since. Um, What are they called? Reading, let me just type it real quick. Let me see. Revolutionary Left Unity Study is what they're called. Maybe if I can find a link to the reading group, uh, but we're actually reading Blood in My Eye now, um, doing some, some, uh, usually we have like a presentation, someone summarizes one of the chapters and then we, uh, talk about it. So, uh, this is just every Thursday. Uh, let me see if I can find them. Let's see where I can. I think this is probably a, a link to it. This seems about right. They post on Reddit a lot just to get people. Here's a link. In case you're looking for a reading group, I think they, they do a really good job of um, just explaining things. It's loose. You don't have to be there if you don't want to every time. Uh, 
just something I, I think if you have trouble typically starting books or you don't know where to start or, uh, you know, whatever else, I think uh, join a reading group is a good way to go about it. And plus, you know, you end up building up some solidarity with people. So, uh, Andrew, as always, man, it's a pleasure. And uh, you're, you're, you never cease to amaze yeah, me thanks, with Bob. all the different things you know. Yeah, I forgot to check my uh, email so today. So thank you for calling in. I, I guess probably mm-hmm. just- yeah. Oh, and I'll be in touch about the uh, the the bill thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we were just going over the logistics of actually the okay. writing and such, and then looking at examples of different bills to sure uh, kind of model this one off of. But we're we're going to be drafting it over the course of the next couple of weeks and stuff, and then you know figure out what we need to do from there. So uh, I'll I'll keep you in the loop. all right man cool all right everybody um i think that's it for me tonight i'm gonna get some water do a little biking and i may check out this covid debate i don't know what they're debating exactly um but something covid related uh if you all want to go back and take a listen to that uh also when is what's going on with uh what's going on brianna joy gray why isn't she here what's going on Hey, where's that calling? I miss the uh, I miss being a troll in the comments, uh, but uh, it's good to see you all as always. Uh, love seeing uh, familiar faces down there, and uh, yeah, uh, again, George Jackson, blood in my eye, absolutely worth a read. And uh, see you all probably. I like I kind of like this every other week schedule, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I know some of you thirsty motherfuckers need some call in. You needs it. You like crackheads for calling. You just gotta you gotta get some you gotta get some some good political shit all day, every day, baby. So uh maybe we'll go back to weekly, but we'll see what happens. But thank you for coming out. Uh hope you enjoyed your stay at the Fred Hampton Inn Suites and uh we got one to uh kind of play us out today. Using the language of black folk caught in a dark American cave-like condition, caught trying to gain access to a reality, but unable to distinguish between the shadow of things and the things themselves. It does not get more foundational than the descent into the underworld, the descent into
Take care. Plato himself, suspicious of poetry, but quite poetic himself. Famous analogy of the king.